Thank you, Brother Jerry, Matthew, Newell, and Dad, for all that you've said already. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 99. Psalm 99. Thank you, young Matthew, for Psalm 104 earlier this morning. Psalm 99. Let's lift up the Lord before we enter Romans 13. Psalm 99. The Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion, and He is high above all the people. Let them praise Thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. The King's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron among his priests, and Samuel among them that call upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spake unto them in the cloudy pillar. They kept his testimonies and the ordinance that he gave them. Thou answeredest them, O Lord our God. Thou wast a God that forgavest them though thou tookest vengeance of their inventions. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Amen. Amen. The Lord reigneth. Please turn to Daniel chapter 4. The Lord reigneth, let the earth tremble. Daniel chapter 4. I want to thank the Lord God of heaven for saving me from my foolishness and the foolishness of other men that influenced me in my younger life, to so appreciate His great sovereignty in all the words of Scripture that those in authority that are over us are put placed there by Him. He designed the offices. He designed the men and prepared them from conception for those offices. He moves those men on a daily basis, just as He moves every father, the office of Father, and the many put in the position of Father that He gave you without ever asking a single one of you about the Father you were going to get. And He moved that Father when you were an infant in diapers and couldn't do a thing about what that Father was going to choose for your life. That is the sovereign authority of the God of heaven. It's the same sovereign authority He has over all civil rulers. I'm thankful to know that now. I'm thankful to pay tribute And we want to pay tribute and give honor and fear to whom fear is due and honor to whom honor is due as well as we can. I have one part of my mind right now so worked up it's composing a letter to our president on behalf of this congregation that we could all sign thanking God for our president and telling him that we are thankful for him and that we are his loyal and faithful subjects. Just as a good test for my character and a good test for my submission to God in considering that there were men that are recorded in the pages of Scripture that wrote such letters to pagan kings that were worse. In Daniel chapter 4, I'm thankful to have learned this lesson without such great punishment. And I read the words of Nebuchadnezzar in the first person because Daniel chapter 4 is a first person letter written by Nebuchadnezzar. It was not written by Daniel. It was written by Nebuchadnezzar to all nations of the earth. As you can tell in the first word of the fourth chapter, Daniel just copied it down. 
Verse 34, And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And then verse 37, which my father began our day with one hour ago, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to a base. I'm thankful to have had a vision of the Lord like Nebuchadnezzar had, but I got it from the printed page by the blessing of the Holy Spirit rather than on my hands and knees out to pasture for seven years like he did. And let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 to, re- to remind ourselves of a few things as we make our way toward Romans 13. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We have had this prayer already this morning, but I want to encourage you all to pray more often for our president and our federal government in Washington and our state government and our local officials as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, in another pastoral epistle to Timothy, I exhort therefore that, first of all, Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. There is not a word in all the pages of Scripture for us to have petition drives, or for us to vote, or for us to rebel or for us to march, or for us to gather around the Washington Monument in order to effect change in government for the betterment of the Lord's people. It's to pray and then leave it in the Lord's hands because they are mere pawns and puppets in the hands of Almighty God. The king's heart is in the Lord's hand as the rivers of water. Proverbs 21 and verse 1. He directeth it whithersoever he will. And we ought to put our trust there and have complete trust there. And we are a blessed nation. And we are blessed with the government that we have. And that does not mean that we approve of how it was ordained in the hands of men. And we do not, that does not mean we approve of every word that was written in any of our documents. That does not mean we approve of the religion of the founders of our nation. It just means that God has used this nation and given us a government that we should be thankful for in its offices and in its Persons that are in those offices. Oh Lord, I'm so thankful and I'm thankful for you saving me. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. This is the word of the Lord. And we've been reading the word of the Lord. It's a shame that you were allowed to vote for our government. Because in the simplicity of the little minds that we have at this level of being citizens, that one vote makes us think that we're responsible for the government. 
It makes us think that we've got power or right or privilege to say or do however we wish because I didn't vote for that man. doesn't matter whether you voted for him or not. God put him in office. Do you know that he was once conceived? If you know anything about the conception of our present president, God was in charge of that conception. Do you understand that during the nine months of gestation for our president, God oversaw and took care of him? God God took care of him all the way to Pennsylvania Avenue. God is great and greatly to be praised. God's put that man there. You didn't put that man there. No one put that man there, but God put him there. It doesn't matter how he gets there. If a general of our army right now were to cut his head off, blow the Pentagon up with a tactical nuke, and take over this country, who would have put him there? The Almighty God that arranged his conception and brought about all the events leading to that coup d'etat. And we're not going to claim some little yellowed piece of paper as our nation when in fact there's a new one. And who taught us that? The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He didn't pick up a yellowed piece of paper called the Old Testament Scriptures and answer the Pharisees and Herodians that came to him and said, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? Of course it wasn't lawful. The Constitution said you would never pay taxes to a foreign government. I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm so thankful for the Word of God. And I'll tell you, there are reasons why we see things that we do see in Scripture. And one of them is the way I'm starting out this sermon. And if you haven't learned to recognize that yet, you don't know how to connect dots. And you need to go back to spiritual kindergarten and connect dots. Do you know how to connect the dots? As to why God has been so merciful to us in so many ways? Because we give Him the honor that is due His name, and we give honor to those men that He has given honor to. And he has given honor to them. Our president is the most powerful man on this planet of 7 billion people. He could make decisions before we end this service that could annihilate other nations. And he could wipe us out if he wanted to. But he grants us blessings. I want every one of you tomorrow morning when you go to your place of employment, I want you to go to HR and ask them if you could possibly know under the Freedom of Information Act how much that your company paid for property taxes for the place you're going to be working in tomorrow. Okay, I'd like you to go do that. Then after you're done, I'd like you to call the treasurer of this church and ask him how much we pay for property taxes for our property as a church. (laughs) I'm about to weep when I think of some of the letters that have been written in Scripture that it would put, that Ezra and Nehemiah would say that God would put it in the king's heart Right. to build a palace and a temple to the Lord God of heaven. Right. Do you know who's building our palace and temple? President Barack Hussein Obama. Right. Give, him, give God glory for our president. Yes, Be right. thankful for him. If you're not thankful for him, then you are not a Christian. Because first of all, we are to have supplications, prayers, and intercessions. He may not pray this day to the Lord Jehovah. And I'm sorry if that's the case. But it doesn't need to be the case. We can intercede for him by praying to the Lord Jehovah on his behalf. Right. Romans 13. The first seven verses. These are the words of the living God. 
These are the words the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the Apostle Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit to pen down by Tertius, his secretary, to send to the church at Rome that we have 2,000 years later. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for the most extensive treatment of civil authority in one place in the Scriptures. These seven verses can very quick, easily be divided into three sections. The first two verses are that the powers that be are ordained of God and we are to be subject to them because it is God's ordinance for there to be civil authority. Verses 3 through 5 describe the fact that those rulers have the power and authority and the sword and the office of vengeance from God to punish us if we don't submit. And verses 6 and 7 explain why and the commandment that we are to render financially to them to support them in their office because they continually work upon this very thing, this very thing being the order of society. I don't know if you understand or think often enough about it that it is a miracle of God's wisdom that seven billion people that are independently minded, selfish, and proud can exist together on a planet and get along as well as we all do. That there are 320 million in the United States of America and we all get along so well and, you know, certain ones get up in the morning and go to work and build us highways that are built so incredibly well and that we sail along at high rates of speed. And there are signs posted so nice and clear beside those roads and we pull into gas stations that serve 128 fluid ounces per gallon of gasoline and it just goes on and on and on how it all works together well and it's because they continually attend to this very thing of an orderly society. Families work when parents are in authority. Marriages work when husbands are in authority. Businesses work when masters are in authority and nations work when authority is given and honored that God has given to those in authority. And it all works wonderfully. And it's worked wonderfully and it's worked 
probably better than ever before in any nation of the earth here in these United States. That's a simple little division of those seven verses, and we will probably not get past the first two today. And I'm not going to worry about it. Because God has been very merciful to me, and God's been very merciful to us, because we have taken a different position on this subject than some that we have known before. I hope that we'll never forget the first two verses of Romans 12 that introduce the second half of this epistle. The first 11 chapters were God's mercy in saving us, and the last five chapters of this epistle are how we can trust and obey Him as we just sang. Those first two verses of chapter 12 are our mandate to live the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is laid out for us. And we had in verses 3 through 21 of chapter 12 our relationships in the church and to enemies. And some of those enemies would be in the church. And then we come to chapter 13 and we have politics. The Christian's relationship to civil government. And you've got to understand, this epistle is written from the Apostle Paul into the very capital of the Roman Empire to a church that is sitting there in the shadow of Caesar himself. And so we got to remember that as we go through these verses. This short chapter deals with only three subjects. The Christian and his duty to civil government in verses 1 through 7, the duty of loving others in verses 8 through 10, and the duty of holy living in verses 11 through 14. The chapter is that simple. Bang, bang, bang. Three things. Our relationship to civil government, our relationship to others by love, and living a holy life. Expository preaching is defined for us in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8. And they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, I hope we've done that so far, and gave the sense and caused the people to understand the reading. And that's our goal in preaching through these verses. The words of Romans 13, 1 through 7 are quite severe about civil authority. It amazes me how many people get worried about taking communion through, through my whole life. I've heard people worried about taking communion because it says that if you don't take it worthily, you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. But you know what? I've never met a person yet that wasn't worried about the damnation, that was worried about the damnation of Romans 13, 1 through 7. And I'm looking forward to meeting some of them sometime. I do not understand how partial people can be in the Word of God. I do not understand how that if you're going to sit there and make a mockery of the Lord's Supper, you're going to eat and drink damnation upon yourself, but you don't get worried about Romans 13, 1 through 7. You'll speak disrespectfully about our government. You'll accuse our president of things you can't prove. You're bringing damnation upon yourself. I don't want any of that damnation in my life. I want to wash my hands of every bit of it. I despise the rebels that tried to influence me in the past from the age of seven on. And I can identify the one at seven by name, but you wouldn't know him, so I'm not going to say it. I despise Carl McIntyre and all he stood for with the 20th century Reformation hour and the terrible influence he was on American Christians out of Collingswood, New Jersey. 
Some of you don't know who I'm talking about. He was a Billy Graham before Billy Graham came along. He was a pastor that gave himself to preaching politics every single time he opened his mouth. And there are men since him. I'm just thankful to the God of heaven for it. There's damnation in Romans 13. I don't want that damnation on you. I don't want it on me. I don't want it on our church. There's damnation if we resist the authority of civil rulers. This whole passage is about civil government. Parents are never called powers. Pastors are never called powers. Employers are never called powers. These are principalities and powers and magistrates. This is civil government. This is our federal government. This is our state government. This is our local government. Let's be humble before these words. God set these men up. God set the offices up. And God moves those men. And if a man today were to bring about a coup d'etat in the United States of America, it's because God moved him to do so. God raised up Pharaoh from conception to the throne of Egypt for one purpose. And we know that particular purpose, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be exalted through all the earth. See, you don't know what's going on. So we just submit. You don't know what's going on with your parents. But until your parents require you to do something that God has forbidden, you obey them. Until your parents prohibit you from doing something God has commanded, you obey them. It doesn't matter whether their decisions are smart, wise, or you like them. They're irrelevant. And so that's the way with your master at work. You may see them making decisions that you know are to the detriment of your company. It doesn't matter. He's still your master. God's in charge. And I can tell you why that's happening in your particular case. That's so that you can learn to appreciate 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 23. Because until you have a boss that's forward, you can't even understand those verses, let alone apply them. I love authority. I didn't always love authority. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I don't need a whole lot of encouragement from Titus 2.15 to let no man despise thee in preaching this subject because the Lord's convicted me and convinced me so thoroughly of it. I don't care what anyone else thinks on this subject. The Bible is so manifestly plain and the authority of God is reflected down through these men that have authority in our lives and we want to reflect God in those that are under our authority. And I'm so thankful to know those things and to know them clearly and I hope that you know them with me and I know that some of you could probably preach this sermon for me or with me. But some haven't heard all these things, and so we do it again. And because God's led us to this chapter, I didn't, I didn't lay out the book of Romans. You know what chapter I want to get to. It's the next chapter. I want to get to Romans 14 so that I can clear up some things, and I don't care how long it takes me. I may die in Romans 14. But we're going to take care of some matters of Christian liberty because I just can't understand why people that claim the name of Christ can get all worked up about little things that have nothing to do with Christ. I do not understand it. I do not understand why you would want to read anything about any other subject but what pertains to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand it. But when I get to Romans 14, we may have a smaller church than when we start Romans 14, but we are not going to put up with people who want to fuss about little things that don't matter to the Lord Jesus Christ and that don't matter to the doctrine concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So see, all that was to say, Romans 13 is here in our path. I didn't plan Romans 13. I'm serious. I'd put it number, I'd put it chapter 17 right now because I want to get to 14 because there's not a week of my life that goes by where I don't run into problems that can be solved with Romans 14. 
if some if people will submit themselves and listen. But here we are at Romans 13, civil authority, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take extra long today. I took extra long ten months ago after an election in this country, and you should probably go back and listen to that. Mm-hmm. I would recommend that everyone go back and listen to living under President Obama. I took a whole Sunday to comfort you, to encourage you, to comfort me, to encourage me. I listened to it yesterday. I thank God for the miracle in my life. Couldn't believe what that man was saying. Because it was true according to God's word, but it is not coming from Jonathan Crosby. Jonathan Crosby would have joined the Minutemen and burned Washington, D.C. to the ground. Jonathan Crosby was sleeping with machetes when he was single digits in age because he was waiting for the communists to attack because he wanted them to attack. Jonathan Crosby attacked the Social Security Administration when he was a young man. I don't mean physically with fire bombs or a lot of cocktails. I mean with letters claiming that they were unconstitutional and I had religious rights to withdraw from the system and so forth and so on. I've done that, been there, heard it. I've heard the arguments. I've read the, the nonsense. And I've seen the destruction of men who gave themselves to fight civil authority and wouldn't humble themselves to it. Right. I've seen them lose their faith, their fortunes, and their families. Mm-hmm. And I don't care about fortunes. I do care about my family, but most of all, I care about my faith and I love the Word of God on this subject. We've preached on it before, but this is going to be a phrase-by-phrase expository preaching of Romans 13 when I get to it. But you need a little bit by way of introduction before we get there. I've exalted all the other authority structures highly, parents, husbands, and employers. So we've got to do civil rulers. A Christian's relationship to civil government is very important. It's been stressed and it's going to be stressed. Titus chapter 3 tells me, put them in mind to be subject to powers and to magistrates, to obey magistrates. So I'm going to put you in mind to that. I'm going to put me in mind to it. It's important. I want you to be prepared to be able to answer questions that your fleshly lusts might raise, that other Christians might ask, or that anarchists might propose to you. By anarchists, I mean patriots. I mean Tea Party people. They're, They're the anarchists of our generation. They're the ones that want to overthrow the established government. They're the ones that want to make fun of the present president of the United States. And on and on they go. They just want to fight. They want to get together and have rallies and tell jokes and push and push on this and that. No one ever called a Christian to do any of that stuff. Now, there's not one sentence in the Bible anywhere for anything like that. If they think that this is a constitutional republic, they are so mistaken. If it's a constitutional republic, take your constitutional arguments to court you're going to be the laughing stock of America and of this church and you'll be excluded. See, when there's constitutional arguments, all you have to do is open your mouth and all of a sudden, the authorities that are standing in front of you drop to their knees and confess that you are right and they are wrong. If you go to court and get proven wrong, and as they all do, this is not a constitutional republic. There's a de facto government in place in this country and it's been here since Abraham Lincoln. Humble yourself to the government that we have. See, men, Christians in the past have appealed to government and have appealed to law and have appealed to de jure law. De jure is Latin for concerning law. De facto is concerning fact. 
What kind of a government do we have presently in this country? You know, it's a, it's a de facto government. It's a government that's replaced our constitutional republic in certain respects, and God's never told us to even care about the difference between the two, and I certainly don't. It is the most worthless subject to read about, those two issues. All you have to know is when you get up and drive your car to work in the morning, are those speed limit signs beside the road and the fact that you need a driver's license that is not expired, is that a valid requirement? Yes, it is, because if you don't have it, Shane's going to put us somewhere. (laughs) Because that authority is still in power. And all these other little Mickey Mouse things about some piece of paper that was written 200 years ago don't matter to anybody. Listen, do you think that a a wife comes to me and says, Pastor, I don't think I should do what my husband wants me to do anymore because he's not keeping his marriage covenant. I just want you to tell me what I should tell her. We had a marriage covenant. We wrote it down and we signed it. What we were going to do toward each other, and my husband's no longer keeping his half of the marriage covenant. I don't think I should obey him. Anybody here smart enough to know what you would tell me to tell them? It doesn't... Who gives a rip? I don't care what your husband's doing. Go home and be the wife that God expects you to be. And God doesn't care what this government's doing from our standpoint. We should just be obedient, subordinate, subject citizens to it. Jesus didn't care if Caesar was keeping what the Senate told him to do or not. Jesus just said, show me the money. And so they showed him the money, and I had a picture of Caesar. Well, whatever Caesar says, do it. Render to God the things that are God, and render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. These things that I have taught you and that I'm teaching you right now are precious, more precious than gold, yea, than much fine gold. I never heard them when I needed them. God has brought them to us. And it's not by intelligence, nor is it by diligence. It is by mercy and grace. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ taking a very difficult legal question. The Pharisees went and got the Herodians and came together and confronted the Lord Jesus Christ. Master, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Did Israel have a constitution? Was it written? Did they still have it in writing? Was it under glass? It was was everywhere. It was the Old Testament scriptures. Is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar or not? That's a difficult question when you're being asked that by Jews and they have a constitution. And Caesar is a foreign, pagan, polytheistic hater of Jehovah who has occupied your nation and is living off your land to support his soldiers. And whose appointed king over your nation, Herod, is an Edomite. Do all of you know that? Do you know what an Edomite is? An Edomite is a descendant from Edom. Do you know who Edom was? Another name for, it means red. Are we getting Esau? An Esauite was the king Herod the king, appointed by the Roman government. Where was his palace? Built onto the temple of Jehovah. Is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? And I have taught this, and I'm telling you right now, this is the same question you should ask. (laughs) Show me the money. 
Show me the money. So I brought some money. It's over here on the table. Show me the money. They handed him a coin. He looked at it. Who is this? Caesar? Why are you guys carrying pictures of Caesar around embossed in gold in your pockets? Ah, change in government, huh? Where's David or Solomon? Why is it Caesar? Render therefore to God the things that are God and to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And if he sends his soldiers and publicans through this street and demands of you tribute to Caesar and to Rome, pay it. That's what he was saying by that. Yes, it's lawful because there's been a change in law. There's a de facto government, and you all admit it by what's tinkling in your pockets. So over here I have some Federal Reserve notes. You know, on those Federal Reserve notes, the 1950 series, if you look at it, it says this note is legal tender and may be redeemed in lawful money at the U.S. Treasury or any Federal Reserve Bank. Now, when a note says that it may be redeemed in lawful money, what is that note saying about itself? It's not lawful money. So someone says, we, our king, is the Constitution, and we're not going to obey anything that's not constitutional. Then you say, show me your money. And they pull out of their pockets a Federal Reserve note when Article 1, Section 10 of that Constitution that they venerate higher than Scripture Article 1, Section 10 says, No state shall make anything but gold and silver coin tender in payment of debt. So by what they carry in their pockets, they're admitting there's a de facto government. Right. What I just gave you is so precious, and it's not because of Jonathan Crosby. It's all right here. If we would just read our Bibles a little more carefully, then I've just ripped off three chapters in four minutes, and I've checked off my Bible reading chart. Right. Matthew 22 is just fantastic. If you will just get down into the situation of Jesus being confronted, Herodians were faithful to Herod. Pharisees hated Herod. They came together in order to trap the Lord Jesus Christ because no matter what he said, they were going to get him. If he was against Caesar, the Herodians would have reported him to Herod immediately. If he was against Israel and for Caesar, the Pharisees would have killed him. They did anyway eventually, but they were trying right here. And he had the perfect answer. Show me your money. So, and I, I've been over this so many times with you. I've been over it at men's meetings. I've been over it in public. I was over it ten months ago. I know that. I know that. I know I'm repeating myself. But listen, I'm supposed to put you in mind. So I'm putting you in mind. And as long as I'm alive, I'm supposed to stir you up by way of remembrance so that when you are asked or you hear or your flesh raises up questions, you have an answer. Show me the money. And if we need a better, a better money collection, let's put one together. We'll put one here in the church. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's and we'll, we'll frame it up and we'll put some of those old notes that declare that your Federal Reserve notes are not lawful right on them. You know, the Federal Reserve knows that. They know that their notes aren't lawful money. They're not ashamed of that. Why would they be ashamed of it? There's a de facto government in this country. They don't care what the Constitution says. You say, but they all swear allegiance to it. Yes. And Caesar would pay a visit to Senate once in a while. And when he didn't like them, he just had them assassinated. Did that matter to Jesus or Paul? The powers that be meant that since the last time you read Romans, 
the senators that got killed are no longer part of the powers that be because they were powers that been. It's that simple. That's the way governments operate in the world. It's the same way with your parents. You weren't asked about your parents. And you know what? If you think that because you voted for someone other than the present president of this United States, I want to remind you that you claim that you voted for your spouse. And all you wives in here, because you voted for your spouse by saying, I do, doesn't mean you can't, doesn't mean you can say, I won't. That little role that you played in it really had nothing to do with it at all. God arranging the circumstances for you to be brought to a place where you were asked the question and sworn to a, a vow of marriage is all in the providence of God. And because you said I do doesn't mean you can say I won't or I don't like him anymore or anything like that. God arranged it all. God's in, the, in charge of marriage and whatsoever God hath joined together. Men don't join it together. And your little I do doesn't join it together. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Right. And that's what we believe about all of authority. Thanks. And so God's arranged these different authority spheres and we're just thankful for them and we trust Him and we pray for them. And if you're worried about them, if the internet or newspapers cause you to worry, then supplicate, pray, intercede, and give thanks by commandment of 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. It's a very controversial subject that I'm dealing with. It's like the alcohol issue with people that grew up with drunkards. It evokes much stronger feelings in men than it should. We shouldn't let feelings drive us when we come to the Bible. Feelings should not be pulling us to and fro. Those are the winds of false doctrine according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. We want to just humble ourselves to Scripture, see what it says, and submit to Scripture. And it's plain enough. God is in charge of all authority. God has set up the five authority spheres that exist in our lives. God has set up civil government, and we want to submit ourselves to it. It is an ancient landmark of our faith, and it needs to be fully taught, understood, and followed. We are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, and this is the faith once delivered to the saints about civil government. And we want to contend for it. This church has had an ancient infatuation, with patriot, I use that with quotation marks. I will never use it in a virtuous sense because I don't understand what it means in a virtuous sense. I'm using it in an ignoble sense. Attitudes and rebellion against the federal government. This church has had such a history. Some members decades ago, and I want to make it very clear to anybody listening to this sermon that it was decades ago. It was in the 1980s when tax rebels were very common in our country and tax rebels among Christians were common in our country. Some members participated in that rebellion against government. A sister church had tax evaders back in the 80s and treated them like martyrs rather than sinners. It seriously affected your pastor and it seriously affected some of his friends. And brethren, a separation occurred by your pastor standing up for the biblical interpretation rather than the John Birch Society interpretation of Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 4. I'd like to take you there right now. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 4 so that you can understand the fires in which this sword was forged. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place. 
for yielding pacifieth great offenses. I traveled across a couple states to meet with another minister, and I took just one text out of 31,101 in the Bible, just one verse, to find out if there was any hope for us to be reconciled or not. And it was this verse, Ecclesiastes 10.4. The abuse that I saw that day in interpreting this verse settled all matters for me that they did not know how to interpret Scripture. And so there was going to be a parting of the ways based on interpretation of Scripture, let alone civil government. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, if a ruler is angry at you, if a ruler is angry at you, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Don't you leave your place. What is your place? It is a low little citizen. Stay at home, stand back, stand down, Don't fight back. Don't leave your house. Don't go up against someone higher than you. Stand down, because that's what yielding is. For yielding pacifieth great offenses. Though he might be very angry at you, if you will yield and use soft answers, you can pacify his anger. And where the wrath of a king is, there is terror. And there is trouble. And so you pacify it. The argument was made, if the spirit of the ruler rise up against you, Don't leave your place. Stand your ground and fight back. Because if you yield, then you're endorsing their great offenses. You say, but it doesn't say endorsing. I know. Three lexicons of Hebrew were pulled off the shelf. And none of them, a lexicon is just a dictionary in another language. Three lexicons of Hebrew were pulled off the shelf. And they didn't provide the satisfactory answer until about the fourth lexicon. And then it was a some obscure little definition down there of some rare usage of the Hebrew word here, changing it from pacifieth to endorses. I saw that with my own two eyes. Right. And that day, God shined with light in my life. Amen. And I'm thankful for it. Amen. You don't have to go anywhere. All you have to do is compare Scripture with Scripture on this simple little tiny verse. Hold your place. Don't go fight against higher authority. You can, if you'll stay where you're supposed to stay, quiet, subdued, and down, you can pacify great offenses. Whether he has a reason against you or you did something to cause his great offense, none of that matters. How do you appease someone in authority? By standing down and yielding. Let me show you. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 14. Proverbs 16. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Solomon. Solomon, okay. And who wrote Proverbs? Solomon. Solomon. Do you think that it might be wise to check them out instead of some lexicon? Especially when you come up with a definition for a word that is opposite of its meaning? Proverbs 16.14 The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. Thank you, Lord. Yes. How about 25.15? Proverbs 25.15. Oh, yes, there was extensive written documentation sent. With I'm just giving you a little sample of it. Way back, many years ago, I don't even know when. I'd have to think about it hard. Proverbs 25.15. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded. Does forbearing mean fighting? 
Or does forbearing mean putting up with something? It's bearing it. It's forbearing it. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded. You pacify him. You can, you make him content. You calm him. And a soft tongue breaketh the bone. The most powerful thing you can ever do to someone in authority, speak softly. Remember that the next time a state trooper pulls you over. Speak softly. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Right. Tell them the truth and speak softly. There's a couple of examples from the book of Proverbs about the interpretation of Ecclesiastes 10.4. I'm just wanting to give you a little bit of background so that you can appreciate where the Lord has brought us and give all the glory to the Lord Jesus Christ for having saved us from rebellion against God. Rebellion against God. Rebellion against God. For whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. I remember promoting Barry Goldwater when I was about the second grade. I remember giving away none dare call it conspiracy in the sixth grade at school. Oh, I was on a crusade for conservative government. God convicted me, though, and saved me from my youthful rebellion. Isn't Isn't it interesting that, you know, the guy who was, at a young age, was so intent on fighting federal government would be soon, when he got old enough, fighting his dad and fighting any authority that he could find because he was a rebel, because it's rebellion. If you rebel in one area of authority, you're probably going to be rebelling in other areas of authority. And if you submit in one area of authority thoroughly, according to God's Word, you're probably going to be submitting thoroughly in all areas, according to God's Word. And that's why I want to teach you today. I believe it will help us in all parts of our lives by submitting We have seen asinine arguments from the Constitution is king to the Social Security Administration is voluntary to wages are not income to FRNs are not money to the Social Security number is the mark of the beast to 501c3 is giving the church to Satan to Yahweh's children are exempt from this world's governments. Heard them all. Amazing. It's amazing. There's a reason why they come up with all that stuff. They're rebels by nature and they're covetous and greedy. Whenever somebody starts to fight tax, fight the tax system in our country, it's because of covetousness and greed. It's not because of character or principle. If it was principle, then they could walk into any court of law, lay, put some money down, because it would cost them a little bit. See, they're not interested in paying any money. They want the money that they're used to giving up in taxes. They want it back. Instead, they could go into court, hire themselves a lawyer, lay down some money, get get a retaining fee in place, and take a lawyer and take the IRS to court. Listen, if the IRS is unconstitutional, take them to court. I respect a man named Howard Jarvis very much. You may go home and punch him into a Google search box. Howard Jarvis from the state of California. Remember him? In 1978... Howard Jarvis decided to do it the constitutional way. He raised enough votes to get the issue of taxation on the ballot for the state of California, and in 1978, the state of California voted, we're not going to pay property taxes anymore. Now, that's the way to do it. See, I respect him because he did it with integrity. But just stopping paying because you say the Constitution is king, well, why don't we get President Obama to take a knee to it? Why don't we get the head of the IRS to take a knee to the Constitution? And you say, well, they did. They put their hand on it. Well, then why don't you take them to court? 
Maybe you could just write them a letter. Maybe you could just write the head of the IRS a letter and say, you're not following the Constitution, and I'm not going to file any more tax returns. Is that okay with you? And see what he says. Play your cards. Put them on the table. Play your hand. See, when the Apostle Paul would play his hand, did things happen? As they strapped Paul up, and the guy rolled up his sleeves and picked up his cat of nine tails to give him Paul a scourging, Paul said, is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman citizen uncondemned? <coughs> You're a Roman citizen? Just a minute. You know, he went and got his captain. The captain came in there and said, I bought my freedom with a large sum of money. Paul said, I was freeborn. Get that man uncuffed right now. He was sweating because you know what? Nero was going to have his head. That happened several times in the book of Acts. And we've talked about those things before. Lord, have mercy upon us. The internet being what it is, brethren, where you can publish for free, there are countless heresies and anarchists found there, which is a warning especially to the gullible to be cautious and skeptical of everything you find on the internet. Anyone can publish. This issue truly rests to a great degree on your understanding and submission to the sovereignty of Almighty God. If you believe that God is sovereign and that the Lord ruleth, as I started out with from Psalm 99, then you're not going to worry about any of this. Civil government being the farthest removed and the least personal authority sphere in your life makes you uncomfortable with it because it's so far away and unknown personally to you, but yet it controls your life. God's in charge of it. You don't need to see it up close and personal. You don't need to have an explanation. God's in charge of it. God raises up men and puts down men. God would have us to pray for the peace of Babylon. Babylon? Why would we want to pray for the peace of pagans? So that we can have peace within them because our kingdom and nation is not of this world. We're separate from them. We're just being housed by the kingdoms and nations of this world in the kingdom and nation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many cannot stand the idea of not being able to change government. But how much can you change your parents? How much can you change your parents? Well, pastor, it's too late. I know. He didn't ask you, did he? He made a perfect choice for you. One of the best methods to rightly rule civil authority is to apply your thinking to other authority spheres. I commonly get emails from brethren here and abroad. May I send this article to my friends? And the article is critical of our government. May I send this article to my friends? And this is what I do every single time. What do you want me to say when your wife writes me with an email critical of you that she wants to send to the children? What do you want me to say? Should she send it? Of course not. And see, it's so obvious you're thinking, duh, no, a wife shouldn't be sending a letter to her children telling her children what idiot, what an idiot her husband is and their father is. Well then, can you get the lesson or not? Okay, so you own your own business. Do you want the employees sending letters among themselves telling each other what an idiot you are? as their master and the owner of the company. You know the ant. No, I don't want that to happen. Okay, 
then that's all you have to do to be able to answer the question yourself, should I send this critical piece of paper about our government to friends? That's just that's the only line of reasoning I take. You know, there's a whole lot more. You're not going to do a single thing. You're going to bring God's damnation upon you. You're not supposed to be cursing the king, not even in your thought. It doesn't matter what he's doing. It's none of your business. You're not his second conscience. I won't let wives be the consciences of their husbands, and I'm not going to let you be the consciences of our government. The conscience of our government is Almighty God. And he's in total charge of all their thoughts. He directs all their ways. He raises them up and he stops them. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, and the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. Psalm 76 and verse 10. And there's so much comfort in that. So one of the best methods to rightly view your submission to civil authority is to apply your thinking to the other authority spheres and see if they hold up consistently. It's just very helpful. I just like to make things simple. And that's the highest authority sphere there is. Power of life and death over you. You think you can talk back about it. You can't even curse them in your thoughts. Let alone parents and marriage. You should be able to get a feel very quickly on how and what you should be allowed to do or what you shouldn't be. One of the best methods to rightly view civil authority is to thinking to think about the existing governments in the New Testament. This church at Rome had Jewish members and it had Gentile members. For those Gentile members, and I'm going to detail this when we get to it, those Jewish members had a whole set of thoughts about that government that would have been rebellious. And so the apostle had to calm them down. And those Gentiles converted out of that polytheistic mess of the Roman Empire would have had rebellious thoughts against it as well. And you've got to think about the the nation of Israel had a constitution. Rome was an occupying foreign pagan army. That would be like Fidel Castro taking over Washington, D.C., positioning himself on Pennsylvania Avenue and the Cubans marching in our streets. Who are we going to obey? Do you know what Jesus would say? Show me the money. And guess what? If you pull out of your pocket something that had Fidel Castro's face on it, you're in trouble. Because there's been an overthrow of government. Think about those, those terms. This, this epistle is called Romans. Romans. The powers that be. Does be mean when David was king of Israel? Or was it a thousand two year, was it a thousand years too late for that? Does B mean some constitutional republic in the future? What does B mean? The Roman Empire. An appointed Edomite as king named Herod. A governor named Pilate who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ paid the taxes for his own crucifixion? Do you understand that? You know, there are Christians that will say, I'm not going to pay taxes because the government spends my tax money for abortions. So what? If you really care about babies being aborted, I want to ask you how many minutes you've spent praying this last week, supplicating, praying, interceding, and giving of thanks for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and honesty. If you haven't spent a great deal of time, quit telling me that you care about the unborn. It doesn't matter what the government does to the unborn. They are still in a position of power and authority. 
All nations have had bad laws, including Solomon's. All nations have had bad leaders, including David. Do you know what David did with the military? He sent a letter under his signet that told the general of his armies to put Uriah the Hittite in the front of the battle and when the battle got hot, to withdraw the troops from around him. Does that mean the nation should have rebelled against David? Or was David still in the office of king? Doesn't matter where you turn, you are in trouble. You are in deep trouble. There's no perfect father. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect president. There's never been a perfect king. And David knew that on his deathbed, which is why he said, Though my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation, all my desire, although he make it not to grow. And who is he referring to? The Lord Jesus Christ, the only perfect king there has ever been, and he is our king. And that king says, go ahead and submit to these earthly kings. I hold the rod of iron. Do you know that it says in Revelation 17, 17, that the kings of Europe... God hath put in their hearts to fulfill His will. Do they think they're fulfilling His will? They don't have a clue. Just like the king of Assyria in Isaiah 10, verses 5 through 15, where God compares him to a saw, and God's the one shaking him. Shaking him. Back and forth, a handsaw. It's all in the Bible. It's all been preached before. We're going to preach it as we go through these verses. But one of the good things to remember is that this epistle is called Romans. Did the title of the book of Hebrews help us when we studied the book of Hebrews? Hebrews. What if it hadn't been called Hebrews? What if it had been called Romans? Would it have been harder for us to figure out? But just the title of the book, Hebrews, told us the audience it was addressed to and helped us and helped us by God's grace to come to an understanding of that epistle. This epistle is called Romans, and you've got to remember, this epistle is flying in to the capital of the Roman Empire. Was this epistle ever read by the Senate of Rome? I don't mean necessarily formally, but was it ever read? Absolutely. Did a Caesar ever read Romans 13, 1 through 7? Most likely. Are there words in it for him? We shall see. Is God wise enough to do that? Is the apostle wise enough to do that? Was the apostle wise enough in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to say, I told you these things when I was with you, but right now I'm not going to say what they are? Because that church had been accused of revolution against Caesar. So he wasn't going to talk about the overthrow of the Roman Empire. He just said that that which, which what withholdeth will withhold until it's taken out of the way in very discreet language. The kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of Christ are totally separate and opposed if both are viewed right. We should get over the fantasy and hallucination of a Christian nation that would operate by the Bible. This nation wasn't set up to be a Christian nation that operated by the Bible. This is not a Bible Christian nation. There were some Christian things to it. Some men made some public statements about Christianity. Some men wrote some things about Christianity. But come on, Bible Christianity? Are you kidding? Certainly now, and even even back then. You know, when they said one nation under God, did they generally mean the God of the Judeo-Christian heritage? Yes. 
But did these same men also put a truncated pyramid with an all-seeing eye on the same money? Did these men wear aprons? Did the majority of these men wear aprons? Yes, yes, and yes, and yes. Get over that little fantasy. Our nation isn't part of this world. Our kingdom isn't part of this world. Our nation and kingdom is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's our king. The vision that we want to have in our heads is not some flag with stripes and 50 stars. The vision we want to have in our head is a white horse, and he that sits on him has a name written that is on his thigh. He is called the Word of God. Amen. And the horse is red with blood, and the blood is not the blood of the Son of God. The blood is the blood of his enemies because he's trampling his enemies. Amen. That's the vision that we ought to have in our heads. When you're noting one nation under God in our pledge, remember the true identity of the great architect of the universe. Of course they call him God when they need to. You think the Declaration of Independence is some wonderful document? Then just take its first paragraph and pretend that your children were writing it to you. When in the course of our lives as children... We are no longer having the fun that we want to because you guys are overbearing parents. It is the prerogative of children to set up a new family and to get rid of the parents that don't let them have the fun they want. And so this new family that we're going to set up isn't going to have the rules that you've given us, so get lost. We are establishing a new family. Just just take the Declaration of Independence and write it as children to parents, and you'll you'll understand the kind of the kind of attitude this nation's had from the beginning. There's more to this subject than that, but it's not necessary because we're going to submit anyway. The foolish and modern notion of equality of all men makes it hard to defend princes and servants. See, in America, we are just pounded from the day that we are born. One man, one vote. One man, one vote. One man, one vote. And if you hear something long enough, one man, one vote. One man, one vote. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. That is a system of government? Some 18-year-old little girl who's never had an intelligent thought in her whole life can only vote the same amount as a billionaire that's 50 years old that has paid taxes for 35 years? and is a major supporter of the government, and employs 150,000 men? Are you kidding me? But that kind of thinking makes it hard for us to submit to other men. Americans have a real problem with Romans 13, 1-7. through 7. And there's reasons for it. It's the, it's the nature of our country. And it's the, the, the constant discussion of this one man, one vote stuff. The equality of all men. Do you know what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10? There is an evil that descendeth from the ruler that Solomon observed, and that's princes walking and servants riding on horses. Princes belong on horses and servants should be walking. And that's the way God set it up, and that's the way it should be, and that's the way God wants us to keep it. So-called patriots and others, because they're given over to these things, try to corrupt the Word of God in Romans 13, 1-7. I sent you some of that in the preparatory email, though I warned you that you didn't have to read all that stuff. You know, some will say that Romans 13, 1-7 only is talking about church pastors. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Oh, that's, it's embarrassing to even think that. 
How would a minister even think that? But they do it. And I sent you three samples that you could take a peek at. That heresy, by the way, has been taught in this church back in the early 1980s. The sword is the Word of God, and he can take that sword and wreak vengeance on his church members whenever he feels like it. And you owe him tribute and custom. There's going to be a box at the back from now on for tolls when you come in or leave. And every time you call, there's going to be a 1-900 number for you to leave a donation, a toll, a toll tax. Are you kidding me? Why? Because they were members of the John Birch Society. That's why. Already had an attitude against government. And so whenever you find a passage like that, nope, (laughs) that passage just goes way too far. If that passage is half true, then I'm wrong. Therefore, I'll make that passage apply to ministers of the gospel. Or... Like Chuck Baldwin, and I sent you his article yesterday, Romans 13, 1 through 7 is Constitution. So he rewrote the whole seven verses to read this way. Let every soul be subject unto the Constitution, for there is no power but the Constitution. The Constitution is ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the Constitution resisteth the ordinance of... Did you read it? I sent it to you. Every, every, he changes the whole thing to be the Constitution. Well, now the Constitution in Israel, like I've told you, is the Old Testament. And the U.S. Constitution, no matter how highly you might think of it, is not nearly to be compared to the Old Testament Scriptures. What effect, what effect will our position, your position, what effect will your position on this subject have on your family? Because if you resist, you're going to bring damnation on yourself. That damnation can come in all sorts of ways. At Corinth, that damnation came in summer week, summer sickly, and many sleep. Many were already dead. But I have watched in leaders of this movement lose their families. Because if you're going to be talking rebellious thoughts all the time, the Bible says it this simply, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you're going to be sowing rebellion all the time by talking and criticizing rightful authority over you, then what is going to keep your children, your wife, from rebelling in the same way against your authority as father and husband? That scares me. I've seen it. The Bible's plain enough. I don't want that to happen in my family. I don't want that to happen in your family. I don't want that to happen in this church. We love this topic, brethren. Because we know God wisely ordained civil rulers for our benefit. For our benefit. And they're providing benefits for us right now. When was the last time you thought about the property taxes on this building? I mean, does the building have a value? Does our property have a value? Should the county be taxing us? Yeah, it should. Is it taxing the property back there? Is it, proper, is it taxing the property over there? 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 Is it taxing your property? Why isn't it taxing this property? Because President Barack Hussein Obama likes our church by the ordinance of God. And he says, I want them tax-free. That's special. You say, but other churches are tax-free as well. I like that too. 
and we'll let them be tax-free because we don't want a state church of any one of them that would put us out of business. I, oh, I want you to think about all these things. Our God has done things well. Right. We love this subject because Jesus Christ commanded and illustrated it to rabid Herodians and Pharisees that were trying to trap him. We love it because of Matthew 22. We love this subject because we are eternal citizens of his kingdom nation that's far better than the United States of America. Amen. We love this subject because it allows, we cannot allow our gospel liberty to be accused by others looking for faults in our lives. We don't want anyone to be able to find a fault in our lives, especially against our government. As it's been said before, whenever we go on trial, we want to go on trial for one thing, our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and living according to sound doctrine, not because we're tax evaders, not because we're, we're involved in crimes against our government. We love this topic because we know Jesus, our Savior, is King of kings and Lord of lords and will deliver us soon, who will show in his time that he is the blessed and only potentate King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. That was the introduction to Romans 13, 1 through 7. The second service will try to get into Romans 13, 1 through 7. I don't care right now about the time. I just want to lay a foundation as to why this is important. And I wanted to remind you of things that have happened in the past. I want to remind you of answers that you ought to have. I want to remind you of the seriousness that this passage tells us about as it reaches its conclusion there in verse 5 about the seriousness of submitting ourselves to the higher powers. All stand with me, please. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, there is no power but of Thee. The powers that be are ordained of Thee, and we thank Thee for them. We thank Thee, Father, in Thy infinite wisdom before the world began. You had purposed that You would ordain civil authority for the government of societies and nations so that peoples could function together well for the common good of the larger number. We thank you for that. And because they are continually attending to this very business, we pay tribute to them and we do it gladly. And Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you have put it in the King's heart, that is, in the Internal Revenue Code of these United States, that our church is subsidized and that our giving is subsidized to the Kingdom of Heaven. These things are wonderful to us, and we thank Thee for them. We thank Thee for the privileges and the peace and the liberties and freedoms that we have to preach Your gospel and worship according to the Scriptures and according to our own consciences as You have taught us. We have no fear of reprisal. We have no fear of persecution. We have no fear of imprisonment or of death as many of our fathers have had. You have sent angels of mercy to protect us, and they are in Washington, D.C., and we thank Thee for them, and we supplicate and intercede on their behalf that you would have mercy toward our federal government, state government, and local officials. Heavenly Father, by blessing them with wisdom, protecting them from their enemies, making their way straight, and enabling them to write legislation that would be to the favor of your people under their rule. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for saving us from the foolish lusts of our own hearts. We thank you for saving us from the heresies of men. We thank you for saving us from the rebellion that is the, a, a fruit of the pride of life and showing us your word. We're thankful for what you've revealed to us. And Heavenly Father, what we do not see, open our eyes to behold. 
what we have not heard yet, open our eyes, ears to hear, and bless us in your word that we would stand upon holy scripture only in the crown of the road of truth, that we would not slide to, to any ditch on any side, but that we would hold only to scripture. Let not the opinions of man enter into the picture, but only what you have stated in the word of God. This we pray, and this we submit ourselves to, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and in whom we trust for our lives in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.